Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Good to have you here. I'm Steve Olson. I've got a Kurt Mortensen with me. Kurt, the master of the persuasion universe. What's new, Kurt? Oh, well, the universe is doing well. Thank you. And uh, getting my <laughs> voice back, that's even a little better. So I'm not as hoarse as I was. So that's always good news. That's good news. I guess we'll take it where we can get it on that front. Anything new since last week worth mentioning? Let's see. Well, Persuasion still is important as ever. It's 85% of your success in life and in business, so that's probably why we're all here together. I listened to an interview today with Robert Greene, who we should get him on the show as a guest. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, which I'm sure you're going to go out and get after this now that you know that exists. <laughs> Actually, you already knew that. But he um, yeah. was talking about his latest book. It's called Mastery. And I've, I actually got it on audible.com. I, I love audible.com. Uh, they're probably going to send me a bunch of free credits now. So maybe I got to list a bunch of other things that I love too. But I, I listened to the book and it's all about becoming a master in your field and how the true master, they just transcend above the competition. Nobody can even touch them because they are basically a master. And the gentleman interviewing him, actually somebody I do all my real estate work with, asked him about, what what else could you really bring out from the book? Felt like you could get into anything else. What would it be? And I thought it was very interesting what Robert Greene said. He talked about how no matter how good of a master you are, there is that people skill component. And he used the term social intelligence, which I think we would both agree with, going back to Dr. Goldman and the books that he's written on the topic. But he used that term and he said it stood out so much that he actually didn't dive into it as much in this book because he's just decided he's going to do a whole book about it, about social intelligence. And so I thought that that was uh, pretty interesting when we're talking about mastery. This is a component that deserves a whole book by itself. Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, you can take someone who's mastered their topic. It could be a PhD, someone on a college or university level, but if they don't have those social skills, those people skills, those communication skills, those presentation skills, they could be the smartest. They could have the most complete mastery of that topic, but they'll never be accepted that way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was sitting at, yesterday. I took the kids to the pool, and I'm sitting there with this guy who's a friend of the family. They were there with their kids, too. It was great. The kids just take off and play. So, you know, we've got the automatic babysitter, the lifeguard, some people would call him there. And we're just <laughs> kind of chatting and and he's in uh, sales. He does sales for an SEO company that does a search engine optimization, for those that don't know what that is. And we were talking about some of the people he does business with and, and how this trend is out there in apps and games for, you know, Apple and Android devices right now. And some of these clients of his are 20 years old, making 150 grand a month because they're great programmers. And we were talking about how, wow, what if you could make the perfect person? Because he and I both agreed we're both sales guys. We have to be engaged. We have to be in front of somebody. I couldn't just sit down and write a bunch of code. I'd go crazy. And then you've got these software guys who are geniuses at writing code that, wow, what if they could sell too? 
because all they do want to do is code. You'd like have the the terminator of, of business right there. Somebody who could write genius code and also sell it at the same time. Maybe we ought to try to do that. Yeah, that'd be hard to find. That'd be like the perfect storm. If someone was really willing to sit down and learn it, they could. It's true. I know that's a, a frustration of business people a lot when they're dealing with most, I'm, I'm saying most, so hold back on the hate mail, but most IT-oriented professionals, they're just not great at dealing with people. It's not sliding them because the nature of their job is, is avoiding people. They're dealing with machines. They're dealing with pure logic in a sense. But frustration of business people is when they need something done that's IT related. Wow, they wish they had somebody that could speak English in a plain way to them and talk to them like a person instead of some of these IT guys that live in a digital cave their whole lives. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I do a lot of training for you know the American Management Association. I get a lot of CEOs, upper management, and we get them into a room. And every time I say, let me guess, that your IT department does not get along with your sales or marketing department. And they go, so how did you know? And I said, the key thing to learn here is one of the reasons is we have different personalities, but we need to persuade others how they want to be persuaded. And if we don't understand how they think and that it's different, not, not that it's right or wrong, but people think differently, they act differently, and if they can't adapt their communication to them, then it's going to backfire every time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that business owners or professionals or employees that are competent, they don't even have to be 100% there, but that are competent in both areas are extremely valuable. Each side needs a diplomat, so to speak, to translate to the other side and, and keep everything moving along because the sales guys, they just can't understand for the life of them what the holdup is over in IT. And the IT guys can't understand why that idiot sales staff keeps promising all these things and doing this, that, and the other. Uh, having that intermediary is a very good. I, I've just talked myself into it. We're going to make the uh, the persuasion robot that knows how to code and, and sell. We're going to do that. That's the way to do it because those people are hard to find. In fact, it goes back to the Peter principle where people are you know, they're great programmers, so they're promoted to management, but where Peter Principal states you're promoted one time too many, so they don't have the managerial skills. They're not happy. They're not good at it, but they usually get stuck there. That's right. That's right. Well, cool. Let's get on with it here. Get to the uh, topics that we have set up for the show today. Once again, thanks for joining us on Maximize Your Influence. We're passionate about these skills. We love talking about this and helping people uh, do it. Now, I, for one, don't profess to be the best in the world at it. In fact, many of the listeners are probably far better than I am, but where we can deliver some value is to keep this content that's new and relevant, fresh in your head. So you're always on your A game when you're out there uh, persuading and influencing and whatever it is that you, that you do. And part of the show is the all favorite persuasion blunder. I've got that one for the week. Now, Kurt may differ with me on this, but I think the fact that I'm bringing it up uh, probably warrants some further exploration into the topic. There's this car company, and you know, you live not too far from me, Kurt. You've probably heard the ad, but it hasn't set you off like it has me. They run this ad. They're talking about come into our dealership, and we've got the best cars, just like they all say. And it just makes me bad. At the end, they say, come in. We'll get you a great deal. We don't expect you to buy unless you like the figures. And I just see it as some kind of a artificial shallow ploy to lower people's resistance to an industry that is right there at the bottom rung on the ladder 
when it comes to trust. I mean, you have one of those those trust polls, don't you, that shows what industries are the most trusted? And I seem to remember car dealers and car salesmen being down there with uh, congressmen and attorneys. Am I wrong? Yeah, congressmen, attorneys, and the telemarketers are all sharing those bottom rungs down there with the car salesmen, used car salesmen especially. <laughs> yeah, the used makes it worse. So what's going on there? What do you think about that? Am I right to be irritated by that, or is that actually a good technique to get people into the dealership? Will that really lower somebody's resistance? I think one of the bigger, major reasons that you're kind of upset about it is probably because your past history with car dealerships. You know what they're doing. You know what they're going through. You know how you're going to get treated. You probably have some uh, emotional scars from uh, times you've bought cars to where it's bringing up a lot of those emotions, those are feelings. As humans, we're not thinkers that feel, we're feelers that think, meaning that subconscious trigger, those emotions are coming through based on some past experiences. So for some, it might be a good ad because it lowers your resistance, but for you, obviously, it has that trigger to where you're like, yeah, right, because there's trust issues, there's credibility issues, there's past history issues to where you just get that feeling like there's just no way and it has the opposite effect on you. Yeah, I kind of get this feeling of, well, yeah, of course you're right. I'm not going to buy unless I like the figures. You think I'd be dumb enough to buy if I didn't? And it, <laughs> it, it kind of gets into my subconscious mind of, so what are you doing with the figures? What kind of monkey business is going on here? <laughs> That's how I feel when I hear that. Well, I think the important point here, too, is we talk about persuasion tools and techniques. And as we learn those, is that if people don't like you and don't trust you right out of the chute, it doesn't matter what technique or tool you have. It's going to backfire on you. In yeah. fact, at a seminar, a lady raised her hand, well, that, that doesn't work for me. It works for everyone else. We know it works. It's scientifically based. We know it's a law of persuasion. Well, that one doesn't work for me because she had the type of personality, the attitude that she wasn't – and we won't name names here. She wasn't very likable, and I know she wasn't very trustworthy, but she wasn't willing to admit that to herself. Yeah, I think I know the word you're going for, but uh, we'll we'll leave that to the <laughs> listeners. So – this is a question, too. I don't know if you can give a brief answer on this. I mean, I've gotten my opinions on it. But you just said, you know, if somebody doesn't like you, doesn't trust you, it doesn't really matter what you lead with. Well, let's say, you know, for the business people out there, maybe they've got a client where they're not a client anymore or it's a rough relationship right now because the trust or the likability has been breached, whether that's because of the salesperson or the persuader or or maybe those dang IT guys screwed up and it's all, <laughs> all falling on the, <laughs> the sales rep. What's the first step that you can take? I mean, I know that some time, I mean, time is going to repair that to a degree. What would be the best thing somebody could do there? In that initial phase, ownership, and make it right. The things that people don't like, we can look at politics, we can look at stores that you've shopped at. When people try to cover up, when they try to point fingers, when they try to blame, when they try to pretend it wasn't an issue – when they pretend that they didn't make the promise, it just makes it worse and it digs that hole deeper. But when people own up to it, say, you know what? Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me make it right. Let me do everything in my power to do this, this, and this. People appreciate that. It actually increases trust and that connection that you're not trying to point fingers or do these other things to where at that point. Now, if you wait 10 years to do this, obviously it won't work. But at that moment where a mistake has been made, say, yeah, I apologize. That wasn't our intent. How about if I make it right, we'll do this and this. And people appreciate that. It's just when they cover it up, it has the opposite effect. We talked about this guy a couple of episodes ago, and he's actually still in the news, the congressman from New York, Anthony Weiner. And he's just such a great, horrible example 
of most of the things that we talk about here because he's obviously screwed up big time. He goes out there and he does these apologies. And, and I don't know about you, but my my sincerity gauge is not registering at all. I do not detect any sincerity whatsoever in this guy. It's like he's going out there because some political consultant told him, hey, you know, this is what you do when you mess up. And so that's going off. So I think I would add to that that you've got to sincerely take ownership of this thing and express your regret to the client or the partner or whoever it is. And then time has to heal it from there. You continually proving your competence and your trustworthiness. I actually, believe it or not, was on a phone call with a client before we started recording. And this guy, he, he was purchasing some investment properties with me. That's what I do. And we had a really rough time early this year because he was using financing and the he was already skittish about doing that. He didn't want to do it, but I told him some of the merits for using financing when you're buying real estate. And so he kind of came over to my side of the fence and decided he wanted to do that. Well, in the 11th hour of closing these properties, this lender pulled the rug out from underneath everybody and decided they weren't going to finance investment properties anymore. And I had referred him to this lender and he was livid. He was ticked. He let me have it. And, you know, I told him, I said, hey, look, I can't be perfect on everything. I had a big history with this lender and I got it wrong this time. I'm sorry. I, I still stand by the overall concept that I told you to do. And and I'm ready to help you uh, get through this. And if you need to, to think or you want to chat again with me, just let me know. But, you know, here we are in July and he has since then purchased a variety of investment properties from me. We're great friends now. And now that I look back on it, it's really the first time I've thought about like it like this, Kurt. I, I can see that he respected the fact that I took what ownership I could. If we look at this, not much of this was my fault. I mean, this lender, nobody could have really predicted what they would do. But it definitely saved a very profitable business arrangement for me. And that's the key point there is that it doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. <laughs> right. Take ownership, you know, relieve the pressure there. Say, you know what, I'll figure out what's going on. Let's make this right. Let's do this. But if you try to hide behind somebody, again, point fingers, blame, try to get around it, try to pretend it never happened, then it will have the opposite effect. And that's stuff that you want to do sooner rather than later. Yeah, we go back to that blunder. And I don't trust the car dealerships. Obviously have some deep-rooted issues. And, you know, I'm, I'm laying down on the couch right now. You're going to ask me about my childhood and we're going to work through this. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but I think the fact that when somebody can admit something went wrong and take ownership, it, while things might be rocky in the short term, I think long term, it definitely strengthens the trust level because they know that you're not afraid to level with them. People know that nothing is perfect. I mean, if you're trying to sell that your product is perfect all the time, I mean, doesn't the BS meter start going off like crazy there? You bet. It's too good to be true. That's why when we talk about trust, that sometimes when you reveal a weakness or that flaw that they're looking for and, and turn it into a strength, that increases trust because there's got to be something. So if there's got to be something, you give them something. And that's why people appreciate just the honest approach and that increases trust and because they're looking for something. And if they're looking for something, give them something. Yeah, you might as well control the something, right? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I know we were going to kind of parlay this into one of the 12 laws of persuasion. And if you're not familiar with Kurt's book, Maximum Influence, 
he talks about the 12 laws of persuasion in that book and, you know, all the psychological studies that he did. And I, I like these laws because that's exactly what they are. When you use them, it's uh, very predictable how people will react. And this kind of reminded us of the law of involvement. We want the customer to engage and, and be involved in the process. And as we do that, the chances of successfully persuading them go up. Kurt, what would you tell us about the law of involvement? I mean, what's uh, what are the key components to know about this? I know we only have so much time, but if you could compress that. Well, bottom line, if, if someone's not listening to you, if they don't care, if they're indifferent, if they're not engaged, if they're not in your store, if they're not at your website, you can't persuade them. doesn't matter what you have, what you offer, or how good a deal it is. And so the more you get people involved mentally and physically – the easier it is to persuade them. I mean, you go back to that blunder, that ad that just makes you tense. Now, one of the things you do with a lot of involvement with a lot of the high-end car dealerships, say Cadillac or maybe Mercedes, they don't try to call you and try to come in, come in, come in. They just show up at your doorstep and say, hey, you bought uh, your car about four years ago. Here's the new model. Can you do me a favor and drive it around for a couple of weeks and take a quick survey and tell me what you think? And you're like, oh, sure, I can do that. <laughs> And after a couple of weeks, what do you think happens? Yeah, right. You're very involved to the point of signing on the dotted line, I would guess. You're involved. Your neighbors are involved. They are saying something. Your wife has said something. Coworkers said something. The, your nose has said, hey, new car smell. This is cool. New features. That's very, very persuasive. That's why they don't charge $50 for a test drive. They want to get you there. They'll give you a free hot dog to get you there to test drive a car to get you involved, get you involved. And that's critical to be able to do that. And there's a variety of ways that you get people involved. A lot of times, if you could make your problem their problem, it's very persuasive. For example, Kurt Lewin during World War II was a psychologist, was hired by the government, get this, to get housewives back then to cook intestinal meats for their family. Then we're not talking hot dogs here, okay? Not hot dogs, we're talking about intestines. That sounds nasty. It, it is nasty. A lot of cultures will eat it, Americans won't. I mean, that's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. I've had it, not my favorite thing. But they were running out of meat because they were shipping it overseas, and there's value, a nutritional value in these intestines. And so they got all these people in this room, big rah-rah session, do it for the country. Here's some recipes. Here's some samples. And they sent them home. They were all excited, but they found out later that only 3% went home to cook intestinal meats for their family. They're like, what happened? So they tried something else. They brought them back into a room around a, a big table. They had them sit down. They said, hey, appreciate you coming here. This is the problem with intestinal meats. Tell you what, if you were us, if you were the government, how would you persuade other people like you to cook intestinal meats for their family? And guess what happened? I would imagine they had a lot of success because the people were involved in the process. They were involved. They had some great ideas. They persuaded themselves because their ideas are always the best. 32% went home to cook intestinal meats for their family. So anytime you can get people to visualize, taste it, touch it, feel it, and use it, it goes a long way. I can give you a magic juice and tell you all the great things it's going to do for you. But if I say, hey, try it for a month, tell me how you feel. America Online, one of the biggest, used to be one of the biggest. America Online CDs went through your fingers in the past 20 years. Right? Oh, oh, I don't even Hundreds. know. Hundreds. Yeah, they, right. that, that caused free 1,000 hours put them on the map. And it's important to understand that. Even going, I don't know if you ever heard the puppy dog clothes, right? The pet stores <laughs> where you go <laughs> yeah. in and. Your daughter says, oh, I want to put, no, 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 no puppies, no, no. And then the, and the store owner says, hey, just take it home for the weekend. And if you don't like it, if it doesn't work out, if something goes wrong, just bring it back. 
And the rest is history. You are stuck with a dog because everyone's fallen in love. Yeah, you're you're going to take the puppy back to the store. What kind of person are you? <laughs> exactly. So the key factor here is to help them visualize. If they can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, that's a big part of what you're doing. If they can't see themselves driving the new car or purchasing the home, that's a volume. That's why as we talk about real estate, when someone comes to the home, we say first thing you say, hey, kids, go pick out your room. Hey, where are we going to put the piano? Where's the place that going to go? Well, you're going to garage, park a garage one, two, three, four, five, or six. You know, to visualize to see it involved or there increases the chances that they're going to be persuaded to purchase. What about somebody who has a product that isn't kind of of that nature? Let's take something really boring like insurance. You can't test an insurance policy. You know, hey, free 30 days of coverage. Nobody does that. How, no. how do you use involvement in that kind of an atmosphere? Well, when somebody's sitting on the fence with the insurance or you have a type of product like that where you can't just give it away, you can get them involved with a guarantee, just like the infomercials. You watch some late-night TV, you're looking at them like, mm, I don't know, it cuts through a shoe. I should probably get it. Right. <laughs> I want to do this. And you're sitting on the fence and you're thinking about it, and they make it as easy as possible. And part of it is, hey, try it out for 90 days. If it doesn't do everything we promise, we'll let you – keep this and do this and have this and they make it as easy as possible to get people involved and the most people who buy something start using it and like it will keep it and the funny thing about the infomercials some of them aren't even using them but they still keep them but that's yeah. another form of involvement if you can't get them to try it taste it touch it use it ahead of time yeah and i think you know you know when we go back to something like we'll pick on insurance here given that it's so highly regulated you can't give away free stuff or there's certain things that you can't do i guess you could let them know how easy the cancellation is, but I don't know that it's effective to dwell on cancellation when you're persuading. I've done this before where I go, okay, here's where I want the prospect to end up. What are the little commitments or the little tasks that they need to accomplish to get there? And and the more of them that we can get them to complete, the more likely they are to finish off the task. When I get up every morning, the first thing I do is put on my gym clothes because if I don't put those things on, I am not behaving like somebody that's going to go to the gym. But if they're on, I'm already involved in kind of starting out that process. And I, I get there much more often when I do that. That's a great point. If you're getting a lot of resistance, maybe you're asking something that's a little too big. But if you can get yourself to wake up and put on your clothes, you might not feel like going. If you can get yourself to take those little steps. And that's what we know about exercise equipment. The closer the exercise equipment is to your bed, the greater the chances are you're going to use it because that long walk to the basement sometimes is a little too long and, and you find other things to do. But as easy as possible, little steps is all part of involvement. Yeah, yeah, I really have to dress it up because, you know, I have a 10-minute drive to the gym. So exercise equipment's a ways away from the bed. So those, <laughs> those gym clothes have to get on really quick after I wake up. And it's not going to happen if you don't. That's a good point. <laughs> We've been talking recently kind of amongst ourselves about marketing and, and persuasion on a higher level. And we were talking the other day about how probably one of the most valuable things for a business in, in today's day and age is a captive audience. It's, it's getting so much harder to get somebody's attention. In fact, I related earlier in the show about how I was at the pool yesterday talking with a friend and I was telling him how I've got cold leads that I could call, but I found that it's more productive to go to the pool and talk to my friend <laughs> than it is 
to call these cold leads and beat them over the head and try to get them interested in something because there's so much competing for their attention. And that's kind of the news story that we want to talk about today. And maybe we can get into that topic a little bit more because if it were that easy, if every sales job or every persuasion related job just involved you talking to an endless amount of people that were totally qualified and totally ready to buy your product, then you're just a glorified cashier, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's what a cashier is, is a very poor salesperson, somebody who you need to <laughs> put behind a register and just have send the people at them through the funnel so that the salesperson's value is derived out of their ability to to bridge that gap and make that happen. But at some point, we've got to get some marketing to take effect. We have to get a captive audience. But this is kind of a funny story. Apparently, and I don't even know where this is. The news story doesn't reference it, but it was at a minor league baseball game. And <laughs> this is, I'll just read, I've got just two paragraphs that kind of illustrate what kind of lengths people are going to to keep attention right now. The hundreds of thousands of people who cringed in embarrassment or laughed at a guy having his marriage proposal publicly shot down can stop cringing or laughing. Turns out it was all a hoax by a minor league baseball team, reports the Hartford Current. The video went up on YouTube last week and shows a man on bended knee being rejected by his supposed girlfriend at a New Britain Rock Cats baseball game. It's been viewed more than 700,000 times and received coverage on ESPN and elsewhere. But apparently the secret got too big to keep. We worked with our employees on the skit and executed a digital strategy to set the video on a viral path, says a statement from the AA team. It goes on to apologize to anyone who might have been offended, but says it was all in the name of entertainment. We couldn't be more pleased with the outcome. <laughs> so the New Britain Rock Cats have 700,000 hits on YouTube. Been all over ESPN. They were. <laughs> they need to get in the limelight. They, they need to sell tickets. For lack of a better term, they got to get butts in the seats, right? <laughs> it worked for the short term, but there's definitely long-term consequences there when people do social media and they want to do things and they're doing these stunts and things happen. And it does work for the short term for a lot of people, but long term, I think it's probably going to hurt them more than it's going to help them. Yeah, or you got to pull the Charlie Sheen and just keep getting more and more ridiculous. I mean, that guy imploded <laughs> about two years ago. I guess he just kind of took on the Donald Trump mantra that no publicity is bad publicity. And yep. he's just got to keep it going. I mean, you got to keep the train wreck moving. <laughs> Otherwise, people will get bored with it. The train wrecks have to get bigger and better and more fire and more explosions. And after a while, you just can't top yourself. And I think that's when they start going really wacky is when there's no next left to do. Yeah, right. So, the, I mean, the New Britain Rock Cats are going to have to ante up. I mean, what's the next ridiculous thing that they're going to do? I mean, this is a good one-time coup, but it just shows – because everybody's got a smartphone, an iPad, and a computer. They've got media bombarding them from 7,000 different angles all the time. And I think we're going to see more and more of this as businesses try and they experiment and they do whatever they can to get somebody's attention so that they can have a legit prospect to talk to. You pointed out that if they ever do any more skits, it's always going to be, wait a minute, remember last time? So we have to balance between the social media, keep people's attention, keep them involved, plus making sure we're not doing something that's a lie or a hoax or unethical. And, and that's the thing. There's so many things vying for our time. Advertising Age Magazine said that we get exposed about 5,000 persuasive messages a day. I mean, there's a lot of noise out there. 
And so we have to be careful what we do, but we want to keep their attention. In fact, we were talking about this the other day to where people are buying leads and doing different things that may, a time lead would be more valuable than a buyer lead. You know, if someone spent $50 on a product and tried to upsell them to something else, probably wouldn't be as valuable as someone who's watched a two-hour seminar or spent some time going through something because they've done it. Because when someone buys a $50 product, they probably haven't gone through it. They probably haven't read it to where time is so valuable. It's almost people do anything to get them to pay attention to them. I think that's the, the Google and the YouTube business model. Yeah, it is getting to where time is becoming more valuable than money to a degree. And it goes back to the law of involvement that we were talking about earlier. You uh, lent me a book a couple of years ago called Free by Chris Anderson, which I have not returned. Yeah, and, thanks for that. Well, you lent me a book called Free, so it's on you, pal. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. I'll give you another two weeks. Yeah, okay. So anyways, the whole concept is that it's this free content. Give all this free stuff out to get people to invest time, uh, to get them to like the brand, to participate in it, because that just seems to work better and build a longer-term, higher trust level with the client. Well, and this is why, because people are so skeptical and trust is an all-time low when you give away something for free, you're proving your worth. You're letting them know that you have value, that there's a bigger return on an investment, what you're offering. And that is the big key, is yeah. that you've proven your worth. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what we talked about last time is you, you've got to prove some value and some worth. Then we can have a conversation about the captive audience. Maybe that goes back to the blunder that we talked about. You know, the car dealers, they haven't proven themselves of any worth to me, so – any kind of front-end shenanigans, they just don't work at all. They've got to prove some worth, and then maybe I would be able to look at this thing objectively. The car dealerships, and there's some great ones out there, so again, easy on the emails you send to me, that I ask people in seminars, how many of you bought a car from the same dealership twice? And I would say it's less than 10%. Yeah, that's And pretty you would rare. think when people are buying cars every four or five years, they have that itch cycle. They, they would want them to come back, but to know it's all about the now, sealing the deal. They've lost your trade and you're doing this. Or, oh, I've got to talk to my manager. And what do I got to do to get you to car today? You're like, really? So they've really blown it to where if they had a lifetime customer that bought 10 cars from them, they'd be way ahead of the game versus I'm going to get this one and never see this person again. Yeah, that's the attitude they have. A couple, couple of years ago, my dad and I were looking at a car. We were at a a GMC dealership, and we're big uh, we're big fans of uh, the LA Angels, the baseball team. And at the time, they had a pitcher named Troy Percival. And if any of you follow that, you know who he was. He was their big closer back when they won the World Series about 10 years ago. And so this opener, this sales guy says, "Well, I'm going to go get my my manager to talk about this." And we're joking, "Oh, here comes Percival. He's bringing the heat." And we were just having so much fun messing around with this guy because we just can't even take the process. Uh, serious Eddie Bore, the, the cat's out of the bag uh, with their techniques. You wonder if they're going to have to change something at some point here because just nobody likes these guys. Well, Saturn did it for a while. They became very profitable very fast, and they don't exist, but I don't think it's because of their techniques. But basically, you got there, and they said, here's the car, here's the price, and you try to negotiate. No, no, no. Everyone pays the same price, <laughs> and people appreciated that. It probably wasn't the greatest car in the world, but hey, it was easy. You go in. Everyone pays the same price. You get your picture on the wall. Everyone's happy. And they became very profitable very fast. I think that's the model of that big car dealership called uh, CarMax. 
I think they yeah, I think so too. To where the here's the price. No, 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 because everyone's ready to negotiate and they got their guns out. Like, no, no, here's here's the price. It's <laughs> everyone will pay this price. If you want it, great. If not, don't worry about it. So it is catching on. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned to see if five or ten years from now the majority of dealerships function that way. In this ever increasing resistance based society, they're going to have to deliver a lot of front end value and prove their worth if they're going to be able to sell on this current model effectively. But hey, sales is tough. It's a tough racket. A lot of really great sales guys cut their teeth on those used car lots. That's a tough place to work. It is. It is. Well, cool. Anything else uh, you would like to leave us with today, Mr. Mortensen? Well, when we talk about involvement, it's critical. If they're not listening, if they don't care, if there's no what's in it for me, a couple of things that are part of that, too, is arousing curiosity, helping them see where it's going to solve their problem. There's the old Zagarnik effect that's pretty interesting. It's, a Russian psychologist came up with this, and she was actually at a restaurant and noticed that the waiter would remember everything about the order until the order was placed, and then they'd forget. And that just amazed her. So basically, we tend to remember things that are unfinished more than things that are finished. Just like the, the news you're watching right before dinner. And they say something like, your drinking water's killing you right before the commercial. And you're like, whoa, whoa, it's unfinished and you'll, you'll tend to watch. Or commercial television, you're watching the movie and the knife comes up and they go to commercial break. So what this means to everyone is if you can create something unfinished, for, give them a reason to call you, give them a reason to email you, give them a reason to do business with you, something that's unfinished, they'll remember you more, they'll stay more involved mentally, and you'll be ahead of the game with the law of involvement. That's great. Pay attention. You're seeing this. We were talking about this before we started recording that, you know, companies on television ads, now they'll they'll show some kind of a video, some guy doing some ridiculous thing. You're kind of thinking, hey, what's going on here? It's got your attention. And then it gets to the climax of the video and it stops and it'll say, see what happens next. And it'll give the YouTube link. And they're wanting you to, to get out of the chair or, or get on your tablet Go to YouTube, spend some more time, get involved because subconsciously you're committing more to the brand at that point, aren't you? You are. It's unfinished. It's aroused curiosity. You want to see what's next. And they are keeping you more involved. All things that are very, very persuasive. Awesome. Well, let's get our prospects involved. Let's keep uh, persuading with uh, power and honor and influence and make it a great day, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week.